This is the Quantum Biology Podcast, where we break down the practical health applications of this emerging science, starting with healthy light habits and going wherever the quantum superhighway takes us. In this episode, we go deep with Victor Misfood, otherwise known as Blind Biohacker, a citizen researcher and entrepreneur who healed himself of multiple vision problems that started in childhood and nearly cost him his sight. In this interview, Victor shares the research and practices that led him to reverse his genetic condition, starting with light and leading to a path of personal discovery and transformation. I love this conversation. Victor's really good at describing why the inner work matters as much as the outer environment. And just a reminder, we do not have advertisers or sponsors on this podcast. It's entirely audience focused. So please take five seconds and hit the five star button on iTunes. We really appreciate it. Here we go. My name is Victor Mifsud, and I'm a citizen scientist, documentary filmmaker, uh, psychedelics advocate, and quantum health nerd. Uh, that's a bit about me. Thanks for having me here today. I love that you call yourself a citizen scientist. I think that's so important. What does that mean to you? And how did you come about to describe yourself that way? Well, growing up, you know, we'd always, we're taught that, you know, like these scientists and these doctors, they know it all and they're the end, end point of, of, of anything. And, and uh, we don't know anything like us as, as quote unquote regular folks don't know anything. And at the same time of growing up, I was diagnosed with various learning disabilities, thought I was stupid, pretty much thought I, I wasn't capable of, of doing much in terms of research, just basically listen to what I was told by the quote-unquote experts, and basically finding out that uh, what a lot of these people that I thought knew things didn't know much, or they were just pretty much stuck with, with a lot of dogma and, uh, you know, ha- haven't really, hadn't really updated what, what they knew and were pretty much stuck in, uh, in this narrow view of, of, of quote-unquote science. So it's really about self-empowering and eventually reading books that, that changed my worldview and uh, allowed me to become a critical thinker. Yeah, and I just find that often the most interesting people are people where the path was not straight. They didn't know where they were going. They had multiple different types of experiences that brought them to where they are now. Yep, yep. The path was definitely not straight, but definitely feel blessed to to be walking it and come across a lot of the research and information that I found, so... So could you tell us the story of how you discovered the importance of light when it comes to health? Yeah, well, I guess, you know, seasonal affective disorder was probably the, the first thing. I was born and raised in Canada, Toronto. My haplotype is Mediterranean. My parents immigrated from Malta, which is a tiny island in the Mediterranean, to Toronto. And that's a, a different you know, latitude for sure. And in the wintertime, I just like always felt really bad, depressed, couldn't get out of bed, major shift in mood. And this kind of happened every year, every winter. And, you know, I I didn't know much. I didn't think the light was an issue. Then I kept reading about seasonal affective disorder. So that was really my first inkling that, that something was, was, was off. And I also noticed how good I felt when it was summertime and, felt like absolutely alive and you know started reading more into it and 
you know, in, in the past 10 years and us, you know, with our phones and TVs and computers, like, why am I having such trouble going to bed when I'm staring at this, these toxic blue light machines? And, and then you realize like, like these systems weren't around for, for a long time and how, how much they throw off your circadian rhythm by, by just exposing yourself to them and, you know, so many people have sleep issues. So it was the uh, seasonal affective disorder and and the blue light from, you know, TVs that affected sleep quality were like the biggest game changers for me into realizing that there's a a major disruption into uh, how and why I'm feeling the way I am because of just essentially from a disconnection to the quantum elements of nature, you know, indoor life existence being exposed to these uh, junk light frequencies. So those were those were the biggest realizations that light is is absolutely important in 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 the picture of health and then as you learned more about light it became something that you used to heal your vision could you explain more about that yeah sure so i guess it that actually did really start with dr jacob lieberman's book take off your glasses and see where i i saw a case study with somebody with my vision condition, I, I am legally blind. I was born with a condition called retinitis pigmentosa. I was diagnosed at nine. Retinitis pigmentosa symptoms are severe tunnel vision and night blindness. So the tunnel pretty much shrinks at night and kind of opens during the day. A lot of it's based on available light. You know, when I was a kid, I'd be playing outside and it would get dark. And then I was like, how the heck are these kids playing at night? Because I would trip over everything and fall and bump into trees. I just thought like, like something's not right. And then I would tell my mom like, Hey, like, why can't I see at night? And she's like, it's dark. You can't see at night because it's dark, but you know, people can see at night. So something didn't make sense. And then I think she started to notice that things weren't right. Or if she could go, I'd be asking like, Hey mom, where's this or that? She's like, Oh, it's right there. It's right there. And then I wouldn't see it to be right in front of me. And then she started to suspect that something was, something was going on. And then I, like I said, at nine, I was diagnosed. You know, telling a kid at nine that he's diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa. I was like, I can't even pronounce the word. And so it, it didn't mean much to me because at the time, because I just, at the time, it wasn't a drastic type of vision loss. It's not like, you know, vision loss is such a spectrum. So that's, a, that's something else I can get into. But um, so I was able to like hide the fact that I was blind. My parents actually told me to not tell a lot of people. And I, I was able to just kind of function. In, in that way, because it didn't appear that anything was wrong. But I mean, in hindsight, it affected my learning because there's so much information that we take in with the eyes. So imagine trying to read a book by looking through like a small toilet paper tube. So the amount of information that I have to absorb versus somebody who's full, fully sighted, I mean, there, there's a drastic reduction in that. So it affected my grades. I didn't do well in school. And then as I got older, it started to affect me socially, or I felt like, you know, because essentially my vision was getting worse. At 16, I was able to actually get a driver's license, and I drove for six years problem-free. Then at 21, after taking a medication, which was now a class action lawsuit against it, Accutane, I don't know if people have heard of this horrible medication. I was on it for a period of three months. My vision drastically decreased and I started to lose some of my hair as a result of this medication, which is not something you want to happen when you're 21. So 
shortly after I lost my driver's license. And then after that happened, I, I was completely gutted because I drove to work. I had my independence. I was, you know, 21 and becoming a man. And it just completely gutted me. And I had a nervous breakdown. And from there, I was on put on all these types of meds, anti-anxiety medications, anti-depressants. And I just thought, like, where the fuck is my life going at 22? You know, losing my license. I was told that nothing could be done about it. I just have to brace for, for going blind. So I sold my car. And, you know, for the next 10 years, I was in just a major depression. And, you know, just lived that way, drinking too much, smoking too much, and just like a mess of a life. Just like, you know, where are things going to go? And this is my life. So I didn't really know how to move forward with it all. You know, then I was involved in a relationship. And then, you know, I thought things would be going better involved in the relationship. And then two or, two or three years later, that relationship ended. I'm like, okay, what is going on? Like, this is, this is the trajectory of my life. Like, this is not going to end well. And from there, I, I, I began to be open to information uh, like within a two-week span Two people told me about these books, you know, Dr. Norman Deutsch's book, The Brain That Changes Itself, which is all about neuroplasticity. So I took that as a sign. I completely ate up that book and it, would, and it changed my life. And then I think a week later, I came across the work of Dr. Gabor Mate. There was a book on ADD, Scattered Minds, which also changed my life. And then I came across Dr. Lieberman's book, Take Off Your Glasses and See. So I found this case study where he, not him specifically, but there was a doctor using uh, syntonic light therapy, which is pretty much a prescribed color therapy that's ingested via the eyes with this syntonic light machine. And this, this doctor was able to uh, drastically increase the visual field scope uh, using two specific prescribed colors. And I thought, geez, I've never heard of that. that that's, you know, I was always told that nothing can be done about it in, in the Western model. So I started to investigate and experiment with, with syntonic light therapy machines and it just made me understand that we are, you know, we are light beings and due to many different reasons, environmental trauma, you know, epigenetics that, you know, we have this rainbow spectrum inside our, our system and our being, and we are, you know, it depends on the person and the condition. We are basically malnourished certain colors. So essentially, we need to eat those colors to, to balance out the, the rainbow that's inside our systems. So I know Lieberman gets into how we can find out what, what colors we are deficient in and how to absorb them. A lot of people are missing the reds, usually is, is, is the reds, because indoor lighting is, is, is missing a lot of the red parts of the spectrum. Most people aren't really catching sunrises. Sunrise is 42% red and infrared. So all these spectrums are so important. And there's tons and tons of data now showing that red light is really, 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 really beneficial for the eyes. So that's kind of how it, it really started. And I'm a huge fan of red light therapy in the eyes. And it's played a huge role in fixing a lot of my vision issues. So could you explain more specifically what all of your um, symptoms were when it comes to vision? Yeah. So my vision issues were presbyopia myopia, which is nearsighted, farsighted. I was diagnosed with cataracts at 30, 29, I should say. Yep. 
But before that, at nine years old, I was diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa. And retinitis pigmentosa is a, quote unquote, I was told it was a genetic hereditary vision condition. And I was told that not much could be done about it. So those are my main vision issues. And before my cataract surgery, I was able to reduce my vision prescription by over 33% by doing a lot of the, the practices that I learned via Jacob Lieberman. A lot of people don't realize that they don't need glasses as much as they think they do. Plus, modern optometry almost works like big pharma in a way where they want you to be hooked on their, on their glasses. So they basically, if you remove that compensation on the side, the eyes can actually move around at one thing. But if the eyes are held with this compensation on the side, stigmatism, that's the word. Uh, the, if the stigmatism is removed, the eyes can actually move freely as opposed to just being like looking forward all the time. And this is, this kind of creates, you know, the whole thing, if you don't use it, you lose it. The eyes kind of need to move around, but people think the eyes need to be dead set, always in focus, but the eyes need to relax. A big part of eye health is, is relaxing them. There's a method called palming, which helps the eyes relax which is basically lightly using your palm, pressing in your uh, eye a little bit to essentially hold them. And after I was able to reduce my prescription, I just thought like, wow, I was not taught any of this. Like I was just taught my eyes are going to be like this and it's going to get worse. So, you know, the, the body's intelligent, the body can heal. So why are we not taught all this, especially when it comes to the eyes? Trauma, unconscious trauma actually plays a huge role in vision loss as well. I mean, we can get into ancestral trauma and, and genetics or epigenetics, which I think is, is where my retinitis pigmentosa essentially came from. But there's different levels of trauma, whether it's inherited or, or if it was given to you in your lifetime. The body essentially doesn't unconsciously doesn't want to see where the trauma was. So what does it do? It blurs it out. So, again, it's unconscious. So, you know, a lot of things we don't realize that we are doing are done unconsciously implicitly so because i think we're usually we spend five percent in conscious awareness and the rest is is 95 percent of you know how we're breathing our eyes are blinking and all on a lot of this implicit program that we received as a kid and in, in utero and through ancestors is all encoded in our dna so there's a lot going on unconsciously and to quote carl Jung, as i often do until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you'll call it fate. So life is really about learning how to make the unconscious conscious to really essentially know the depths of, of, of our being in our person. And, and it can uncover a lot of things related to illness and just our, our spiritual being. So it's a huge to what light, color, basically connection, the ultimate connection to nature. You know, life is all about the inner world, outer world, quantum world, balance awareness. And if that happens, that's when you can create the Goldilocks environment. You know, as the saying goes, you can't get well in the same environment you got sick in. So this is really about learning what environment means. And a lot of these things of the environment, we can't see, like we can't see. People just think a light is on or off. People think water is wet. 
people can't see when they're walking barefoot that there's an electromagnetic flux occurring. Emotions in our system you can't see unless you cry, obviously, but all these things have, have a major, major effect. And, you know, going blind taught me what it really means to see. And, you know, just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. So I think we have this very egoic part of our mind that just needs to see everything to believe it. But once you suspend that element and, and realize that there's a lot of elements that are happening, you can really connect to, again, inner, outer, quantum levels of being and, and have a radical effect on our health. Yeah. Most people who come to this information, to this work, quantum biology, studying light and health, uh, come to it because they've been dealing with a personal health issue or someone very close to them has. Now, there is the odd outlier who finds it just purely through intellectual curiosity, but most people find it because they have a, a symptom or an illness that is really affecting the quality of their life, and they've been told by everyone else that there's nothing else you can do about it. Could you tell us and explain to us what your experience was of being told that you were losing your sight and there was nothing you could do about it. And yet somehow you were able to not accept that answer and push through and find another way. What was that like? How did you become a person who could do that? Essentially it becomes a matter of life and death. It's like sink or swim. Like, what do you want to do? Like, you know, be the hero of your own life. If we look at our life as, as a movie or the, a superhero, what, what kind of ending do you want to have? And I found this thread of, of, of uh, unconscious emotion, unresolved issues, the power of the brain, neuroplasticity. And I started to realize that, hey, if all these people in, in, in these books can change by using the power of healing in the brain, like, why am I any different? So it really forced me to be like, like, how's this story going to end? And I just basically pushed myself to, to reach out to these people for help and to follow what, what they, the information that they shared. In the book, The Brain That Changes Itself, I, I attended this school for children and adults with, with learning disabilities. I didn't know I had undiagnosed learning dysfunctions. So I reprogrammed my brain. We see with the brain, not with the eyes. So there was this tie-in between types of learning dysfunctions and, and how I saw. So that was a big game changer for me and, you know, changed my environment, started working with red light, started working with color, started addressing a lot of inner emotional unconscious work through the use of somatic therapy and psychedelic therapy, which had a radical effect on my life. You have to go through these struggles to really, there's strength in our adversity. I mean, it was a hard thing for me to come to the conclusion and say that going blind taught me how to see. You know, like I was always like, oh, you know, I hate this condition or my life sucks or this fucking sucks. Excuse my language. But it came from that anger. You know, you can either use that anger to to just be sick and, and, and unhealthy and just jaded or believe in the power of, of spirit and the world that we can heal. So like, what's my life purpose? So now I see making this film and helping myself. I get a lot of people that reach out to me and say, hey, thank you. I never knew this existed. And, you know, that's where I found my life purpose is in, in helping other people go through 
the weird stuff that I went through or if there's any parallels or similarities to be like, oh, okay, then it's not so bad or, or there is hope. So, and you know, life is a lot sweeter. Life is a lot better. Life's not perfect, but I'm, I'm quite optimistic where things are going to go and, and, the, and the new things that I am going to learn. And now that I have spirit on my side or, or just this quantum energy on my side that I can push through a lot of these things that I didn't think I could. So it really woke me up to and empowered me that I'm in control and these doctors who basically said you have this condition you can't do anything about it they took that power away from me but again through reading these books and through through not wanting to become a statistic I just said you know f this and radically changed things and kind of went the other way and took my health into my own hands but it was not easy and I dealt with a lot of addressing these, these deeper traumas in my life. And, you know, now I'm, I'm, I am here where I am now just because of just not believing what, what these doctors said and, and kind of going beyond the system and saying, hey, there's actually something I can do about it that's not really taught in the mainstream. So ever since then, I haven't looked back. Thank you for sharing. That's a beautiful story. I'm just so curious how some of us have a part of ourselves where and we where we just won't accept what we're told is non-negotiable reality. We're like, no, I don't buy it. There must be something else. So I was listening to your uh, conversation with Sarah Kleiner. There was a quote that I just loved that you said uh, in that interview. Uh, you said, people can only meet each other as deeply as they've met themselves. Uh, could you expand a little bit on what you mean by that? Sure. Yes, uh, absolutely. Well, in, in the world of therapy and just talking to a lot of people, again, this a lot of this stuff is, is unconscious when you're talking about going deep. Basically, if you've been through hell or just a, a really bad situation for like a long time, that's that's going deep. And you learn a lot about yourself. So if you see, it just makes it easier to connect with somebody that's been there before. Or if somebody's just going through there for the first time, you can say like, oh, I've been there. I'm quite familiar with, with that space. And I, I know the, the territory. So, I mean, I can help you through it. And at the same time, you know, sometimes you don't match with these people because they haven't been there yet and they don't understand why you're acting the way you are because it's such a, you know, at the same time, it's like this, this long view, you get, you get to see the bigger picture and how things are connected because you, you've seen it from so far up. So you see like, this is connected to that and that's connected to that. But some people who haven't been that high or that low don't see how it's connected because they're looking at it from not the right place yet. So again, truly going through all of these situations and, and really doing a lot of this inner work has allowed me to connect with people or talk to people or, or know the right things to, to say, because I've spent a lot of time on the floor, so to speak, or in hell and in heaven, whatever you want to call them, just to gain that depth of, of learning about myself. The best way to understand uh, somebody's darkness is, is, is to truly know your own darkness. And we all have this shadow side to our life that, you know, in modern day 
spirituality, we're almost taught to like ignore that or everything's love and light and no bad feelings, always positivity. And like, that doesn't work. That's not realistic. I mean, we are these dualities. And as soon as you suppress one duality or, or one emotion, it's going to rear its ugly head. And if you don't acknowledge that shadow aspect of yourself, it's going to come back angry, deeper and darker. But as soon as you acknowledge that, it's basically just navigating a friendship with, with all these aspects of ourself, our shadow self as well. And the shadow work was something that, that really helped me integrate to who I truly was because I was unconsciously ignoring it most of my life and the anger that I had. So that's what I mean by you can only meet people as deeply as you met yourself. I've definitely found for myself, and I know a lot of um, people in our community have found the same thing, that living um, according to our circadian rhythm, living in sync with our circadian biology, uh, waking up at dawn to see the sunrise naturally produces uh, an impulse towards self-reflection and connection to something greater than ourselves. Could you talk about what your experience has been living in harmony with light cycles? Yeah, well, I, I don't think we truly know the, the, the power of, of light. So morning, think of morning light and sunrise like these sets of keys that fit into all these slots in, in, your, in your system via the eyes, the supercosmetic nucleus that unlock emotion, that connect you to your higher purpose. I mean, th this system, this biological system has been going on for thousands and thousands of years. So if you're cutting off from that, you're emotionally dysregulated. You're not getting, you know, I always call it, you know, as soon as I'm, I'm, I'm grounded and, and barefoot in the morning, this what I call my downloading time. So whatever, all of these things that are maybe beyond me that I don't even know what I'm receiving, but I'm receiving something. Uh, I just feel better. And I, and I know I do, maybe I can't wrap my head around it exactly, but that's what I'm saying. That these, these light frequencies are act like little keys to turn on all these innate systems that, that need to be turned on for emotional health and uh, physical well-being. So you mix that into, you know, 30, 40 years of, of, of not seeing sunrise and, you know, waking up and looking at your phone first thing in the morning, like there's going to be this buildup of, of crap that hasn't been turned on in a long time. So that's one way that, that I, I look at it. You know, there's the morning light and, and just uh, obviously the, the barefoot grounding, which is a huge part of it, which I'm sure the listeners know a lot about. So, I mean, that, that's just how I look at it. It's like these, these quantum keys that are just in the morning unlocking all of these systems for for just balance emotional balance purpose balance spiritual balance as well like you said it you get all this information you don't know it's also it's like this major gift of like actually seeing a sunrise just pop up from the, the horizon it's like it's the reason why we're here it's it it grows our food it light is just sun is the most important thing from a a hierarchy perspective. I mean, it just runs the show. So seeing that for the first thing in the morning is like, let there, you know, let there be light. It's just like, okay, the day has started. So there's, there's so 
there's so much to it and it's it, it is a spiritual experience when you start doing it like my sleep radically lines up i mean my emotional well-being just it's not easy i mean most people don't live in a place where they can see it but it's something if you can experience or make an effort to experience it i mean it obviously helps to just get outside wherever you are first thing in the morning but you know if you're having drastic health issues and you can make an effort into just trying it out you know that's how i met this whole community here and, and, you know, started to learn about Dr. Jack Cruz's work and came to Mexico to in 2017 to see what it was all about and uh, powerful stuff. So it's the greatest great gig in the sky, as I call it. What's your experience with the uh, connection between quantum biology and plant-based medicine? There's an amazing essay by Albert Hoffman, which I think was his birthday yesterday. He's obviously since passed away. The essay is called Natural Science versus the, the, the Mystic, I think. But he does a great job into distilling that answer. But I, I can give it my own shot. These medicines, whether it's like psilocybin mushrooms or things like ayahuasca, there are very powerful compounds in them that are DMT-based. Psilocybin is a very similar molecular structure to DMT. And essentially, like when you consume them, I mean, first of all, just the, the visuals and the colors and the, the fractal visions that you get from them are almost inexplicable in the sense like, like what is going on internally. It's like you're ingesting quantum medicines again like quantum computers quantum medicines that that kind of go beyond language like language english language is so incredibly limited but when we see these like fractals that occur because of ingesting these medicines like they are working on like such a a sub atomic level that uh it's hard to explain because you know you go through a, an ayahuasca experience like you go through the ringer a little bit you feel different you feel funny you feel uncomfortable you feel happy you feel blissed out you feel angry but they are able to project this emotion or allow for these systems to defragment and then build back a little differently so the system can can function efficiently so it's hard to explain with with words on on how they exactly work but like experiencing this fractal fractal quantum medicine i don't know what else to call it is is just so incredibly healing it's almost like consuming sunrise to to like another level again i think a lot of the times it's, it's making the unconscious conscious like beyond our limited language because the universe functions in symbols and mathematics is the language of the universe. So we're eating quantum mathematics. I mean, I, I, I don't know how else to explain it, but that's kind of like maybe the, 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 the bigger picture of it. But a lot of the times with trauma and, and certain things, like we, we have a difficult time processing what that, that meant to you. So basically if you were traumatized, usually by other people, the, the energy of the trauma is stuck 
inside the body. It can be manifested into different body parts, the eyes, you know, back pain, knee pain, the head, wherever. So that energy of the trauma hasn't is basically stuck inside the system. So it's it's stuck and it just spins there. So if you're doing this trauma work or, or using psychedelics, it allows that that energy signature to actually run its course and, and get out of you. So again, it, it's hard to explain how and why. And, and psychedelics are not a magic bullet by any means. So some people do experience a lot of uh, cathartic release just by doing them. But also integration is, is a huge part of it. So, you know, it helps to work with a, a proper guide or specialist again who's who's been there before which goes back to that you know we can only meet people as deeply as they met themselves basically to integrate the teachings so if you learn all this stuff from this experience like okay you, you're not going to go back to your same life and and do what you were doing before because you're not going to change so you need to take these teachings and use it as a catalyst to continue to change your life it's like you know the universe shakens you to awaken you so psychedelics can be a big shake to awaken you and they're not easy i don't recommend them for 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 everybody there's there's various different kinds and it's 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 not a magic bullet they they can be very disruptive very 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 disruptive but sometimes if you're stuck in a deep pattern then that's that's what you need to get out of it so yeah, use that information to, to guide you forward, to, to break old patterns, to realign your life's purpose. And that's what they can do. Fascinating. Knowing what we know about quantum biology, it would matter what environment your body was in um, when you took these medicines. Yeah, I mean, that's a big part of it. I think a lot of these modern guides whether they're doing like things how like MAPS is doing where it's just one-on-one -on -one psychedelic assisted therapy. <clears throat> a lot of the times I don't think they've addressed these, these quantum environments, which is something that I've, I've been looking into to, to help facilitate the set and setting. Basically my favorite places to do them are usually in nature outdoors which is not always available. And, you know, the more shamanic tradition, it's then outside in a maloko. So you're outside lying on the floor. Some of these do are done in, in darkness, but not always. But yeah, the, a lot of the times, you know, the, these more modern psychedelic assisted therapies are done inside, probably under drunk light, probably under, you know, with like Bluetooth headsets playing music. And so when I work with some clients, I, I mean, I have a, I take that into consideration, whether it's working outside or uh, not in the city. I mean, the city can be a bit intense because, again, you're more prone to all these energies. So it's good to be out in in, in a nature element. So, yeah, you know, th that's that's environment is, is key. And, and, you know, when you're doing these medicines, you really like you can tell like it feels amazing when you're in the right environment, outdoors and under the right light. So powerful stuff. So again, set and setting is, is usually something they say when you're when you're looking for a proper place to, to work with medicine. So yeah, very important.
Is there anything else on the topic of light and health or light and healing that you'd like to share that we haven't covered? I was often told uh, by a few doctors saying that my health will improve with my tan. So I, I always remember that one. And I found it true. I mean, I'm, I'm getting a good tan where I am right now. Just basically try to mimic your indoor environment as if it was like out outdoors you know soft reds in the morning and stronger light at, at noon and you know toning it down in the evening and stay away from junk light just try it out and see what see what happens even color as, as well like wearing certain colors subjecting yourself to to certain colors or ingesting colors in the eye you know like syntonic light therapy is, is really fascinating I know they make these colored glasses that, you know, you can subject your, your, your eyes to, you know, 10, 20 minutes of color therapy a day. In, in summation, really, uh, you know, the, the reds, infrareds, and, and the purples are probably the most important parts of the spectrum, you know, infrared and UVA, UVB. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, it's, it's really magic. It's color and light is, is magic. It's how we see, it's, it's what we it's what's been surrounding our life for, for most of for most of it and a lot of us have been mal mal illuminated from from color so eat your colors yeah absolutely yeah there's something about going outside first thing in the morning it's it's hard to explain it's beautiful um and i'm also curious about sound and sound healing could you talk about that sound and color it essentially comes down to frequency and uh, I, I looked into a lot of the power of sound healing in my documentary mm. using crystal bowl. And, and I mean, the study of cymatics is, is a prime example of, of the power of sound. You know, if the sound is resonant, like, you know, 432, 528 hertz. Like if you have that flat plate with the sand or salt and then you run these frequencies on it, like they line up and and they do some very strange interesting things and these patterns can be found in in all throughout nature so again color and sound have they're they're part of the the similar frequency spectrum of of well-being and you know i think it was said in in the the 50s or i don't know when where they ended up changing the frequency of music and you know the a the note a was changed from 432 to 440 and mm. the 440 disharmonious to the 432 uh you know i don't know why i mean we can go into conspiracy theory on why that might have been maybe that's in a, another show but you know binaural beats listening to certain frequencies can you know if it the body your body's two-thirds water and, you know, if you're running these frequencies through the water, the, the crystalline uh, structure of the water is going to be functioning optimally. And if you're exposed to Wi-Fi and, and all these other frequencies, like, what do you think is going to happen? So that's all technically sound just because you can't hear your Wi-Fi. Just, you know, if you could hear it, I think everyone would throw all the Wi-Fi routers in the, in, in the trash. So sound is important. It's just as important as light. It's just a different, just different frequency. So 
you know, those, those crystal singing bowls have been around for a really long time. Those Tibetan bowls have been around for a long time. They just, just add to the, the harmonious being of, of, of our spiritual state, our physical state, just like the color. So it's, that's how it all connects. It's interesting. I was, when I did my crystal healing bowl sessions with Phil, he was in the film and he's my practitioner and, and he runs out of Toronto sound therapy. Amazing guy. Uh, he would put acupuncture needles before I would, have my sound bowl session. So I have all these bowls around me and I have these needles. So, you know, they ring the bowl and it creates this, these tones and then the acupuncture needles because of the frequency end up being vibrated like antenna on these acupoints. And it's just amazing. Wow. So, and you mix that with psychedelic therapy. So you're even more open because the music is a huge part of the psychedelic therapy, like in, in the shamanic cultures, they have the Ikeros, which is the chanting that the shamans do. Mm-hmm. You know, your, your, your mind is just so open to, to absorbing these, the true elements of the, of the spectrums color as well. I do color therapy with, with while on the medicine and, and sound therapy. So your body's in such an open state. Yeah. So I think the unconscious that, that window, that door between the unconscious and conscious when you do psychedelics kind of goes down. So there's more things that can pass through. So you're more open to, to absorbing a lot of these color and sound frequencies. So again, if you, if you really work on the proper set and setting to these elements that, you know, we can't see in that state with the medicine, it's, it's even more, just so much more powerful and uh, something that, you know, like if you do ever experience it, it's just, it's next level. It's, it's so powerful and it's, it's magic truly. And we're very disconnected from that just to, you know, just in our modern day living of, of, of not really having the time and place, the safe spaces to connect, Mm -hmm. you know, church really took that away from us and, you know, modern society saying, oh, you shouldn't do drugs. And, you know, it's, uh, it's all ways to, to really disempower us from meeting our true self. And that's why I think now they, it's, it's, it's come back because we're at such a crossroads of catastrophe and consciousness that, you know, which way are we going to go? And, you know, mental health issues have just gone through the roof especially with with you know covid and lockdowns and no one really seeing each other and people being more encouraged to do things online and disconnect with people and live in the metaverse i'm like what is you know (laughs) what's going on so we need to take back our power and 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 do the inner work and and help essentially wake ourselves up and, and wake up the others find the others Yeah. You know, the more people I talk to and the more stories I hear, I'm realizing that reclaiming your health is reclaiming your sovereignty. And there's a reason that that got really hard to do. Once you are no longer reliant on a certain type of structure to feel good, uh, you're in your own power, not somebody else's. 
Yeah, <clears throat> when you're yeah. when you're sick, when you're sick, you're a lot more easily controlled. And like I think most people have no idea how the body is designed to feel. It's like, oh, I feel good, I feel okay, but like once you start really getting a hold of it, like, oh, like it's, it's almost like a high. Like, oh my god! Like I feel you have this ultimate drive to to handle any emotional hiccups or just to have this clarity, like this is the next step. That's the next step. That's the next step. And you get into this flow state of just doing things as opposed to like, Oh, I don't know. I don't have confidence in myself. So if you get on that, I mean, it's the ultimate F you to the man sort of thing. And we need, again, we need that more now than ever because of just the state of the world and, and what's, you know, you know, being pressed upon us sort of thing, sort of thing. Yeah. So, Yeah. yeah. Once you have found people who know how to help you and you uh, therefore learn how to help yourself, you are no longer reliant on any specific system. Yeah. I mean, I've lost a lot of friends with, with some opinions that I've had about certain things, but again, that saying, you know, most of these people never had major health crises in their life and they weren't forced to like look into these things. So now they're like, Oh, okay. This is what I was told to do. It's uh, it'll make me healthy and like, oh my God, you guys so, so wrong uh, on this. And, you know, and they have to learn the hard way or if that's what they think, that's totally fine. Uh, a lot of these loneliness aspects also stem from people being afraid to be with themselves and, and afraid to acknowledge their shadow and afraid, you know, to meet themselves. So people always need that external stimulation of, of being busy by talking to others, but I spend a lot of time alone to, to again, and once you're fully comfortable alone, that's when you're, you've truly made it. So it's been isolating. Yeah, for sure. And people were never used to this level of, of isolation. So. Well, thank you so, so much for doing this, Victor. This has been the quantum biology collective podcast to find a practitioner who practices from this point of view, visit our directory at quantumbiologycollective.org. If you are a practitioner, definitely take a look at the Applied Quantum Biology Certification, a six-week study of the science of the new human health paradigm and its practical application with your patients and clients. We also love to feature graduates of the program on this very podcast. Until next time, the QBC.